Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Uh, welcome to the Living Free Show today on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Hi, I'm Bill, and I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. As you may already know, February is 3CR's subscriber drive month, so if you'd love to actively support the show, then you can by becoming a 3CR subscriber. Um, I'll be playing a few announcements during the show, and uh, we'll be talking about how you can subscribe to 3CR, and we'd appreciate your support to keep 12-step recovery on the air for another 12 months. So each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the 12-step programs and our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Uh, Today I'd like to welcome John and Ian to the 3CR studio. Hi. Hi, Bill. Thanks. Um, And they're members of Gamblers Anonymous. Uh, They're compulsive gamblers, and they're going to be talking about recovery from compulsive gambling uh, with the help of Gamblers Anonymous. Um, so both of you have been on the show late uh, last year, so we'll sort of go have a bit of a different show. We'll talk about some of the issues around um, around gambling and around Gamblers Anonymous, uh, some of the challenges, some of the change that the organisation is facing. Um, so I'll, I'll start with you, um, John, um, talking about, you know, early life and getting involved in gambling. So what was the thing that sort of hooked you into the gambling culture? Yes, Bill, and thanks very much for inviting us onto the program. It's really appreciated as far as GA is concerned and myself to be able to share my story. I um, I was around about uh, maybe nine, nine years old when I first became aware of my gambling um, addiction was um, due to the um, the sweeps they had around cup time, being Caulfield Cup sweep and definitely Melbourne Cup sweep. Uh, that was my first introduction to race racing and that was uh, brought on by the fact that there were sweeps available and uh, as I progressed through those sweeps, I become aware of the racing industry. Um, at that time of the year, the cups, I couldn't get into enough sweeps, talk my parents into entering me in anything and everything that they could because of this uh, addiction that I'd, uh, that I'd formed, but not knowing what it was then. But, um, yeah, that's exactly how I started with sweeps. Okay. So what was the first venue you went to to, to enjoy your, your new interest? Yes. Um, I would have been about uh, 12 years old or 13 years old and I was uh, one of the uh, local boys uh, that I grew up with and went to school with. He became a jockey and uh, he was riding out of the race course at Yarra Glen and I was invited to go and uh, to the races there and watch him and... Uh, that was my first introduction to real live race races. That's with the horses. I then progressed to the greyhounds. Yeah. Um, my parents, um, who were drinkers and uh, frequent in the hotel, were given uh, by one of the, their patrons a, uh, a greyhound, and they bought it home and said, y- "You can train it." So uh, I started training it, and to get to venues, I uh, relied on other like 
other people to take me to the greyhound racing, and that's how I first became involved in greyhounds. Okay. Um, so did you listen to races on the radio as a kid? Yes, I did. Yeah. Yes, I did. Uh, you know, as I mentioned before, with the uh, cup sweeps, I uh, religiously listened to, started listening to the uh, Caulfield Cup and was aware that it wasn't only a Caulfield Cup, but there were six or seven or eight other races on that same day. And it wasn't only at Caulfield, it was racing all over the state. So I became addicted by listening to that, realising that uh, it wasn't just Caulfield and uh, Melbourne Cup time, it was on every Saturday and during the week as well. So that introduced me to uh, more um, aspects of horse racing. Okay. So uh, other types of horse racing then, did you get involved in other other sorts of things like trots? and? Yes, I did. Yeah. Yes. I, uh, at the age of, uh, once again, 13, 14, um, I was able to obtain a job uh, at a trotting, tra- trotting trainer's stable I used to ride my bike there um, during the school holidays I started and was getting paid. And, of course, they'd have uh, trotters in racing at the enhanced racing at the uh, showgrounds at that time, and I would go with them. And uh, I soon found progress by staying there of a Saturday night because we'd be getting home late from the showgrounds, and then they'd be having horses in at the, uh, oh, as far as up the country meetings. I, I remember we went to Naya, and uh, I ended up going wagging school but uh, to go to the meeting at Naya with this trainer and um, telling him it was okay I'd had the uh, authority from my parents but I didn't I hadn't <laughs> so uh, just progress like that that's when I start you know I started lying and the deceit at that stage you know I was a young bloke yeah okay uh it must have had a bit of an impact on your schooling absolutely yeah. I couldn't leave school quick enough I yeah. just could not leave school quick enough any any uh uh, time that I could uh, wag school and particularly to go to a uh, a trotting meeting or a greyhound meeting of the night time, I'd find time to be able to get back and uh, uh, get there in time. And uh, the only days I usually went to school was a uh, <clears throat> secondary school was uh, on a Wednesday and that was sports day. But they soon worked me out and told me that uh, I wasn't able to play sport on a Wednesday. So I stopped going to school on a Wednesday as well. Right, okay. So how did things change, things change when you left school? Uh, when I left school, I became an apprentice to a uh, painter. And uh, unfortunately for me, I was able, well, fortunately for me, I was able to obtain a, a job. That was fairly easy in those days. But uh, the gang that I was working for, the painter crew that I worked for, were all punters, punters and drinkers. So mm. I still kept in that, uh, that uh, circle of uh, gambling and uh, drinking. Yeah. So did that impact your work? Absolutely. They were exactly like me. They uh, they were ve- weren't very good role models. Any opportunity to finish work early, uh, we would uh, and uh, go to uh, the TAB and uh, spend some time there or we would, at lunchtime, go down to the TAB, place our bets and listen to the races while we were working. But it really did impact... Uh, my uh, efficiency as a, uh, <laughs> as a worker. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, swipe over to you, Ian. Um, so with you, coming into GA was a major change. So what, what was it that brought you into GA at first? Uh, thanks for having me here, Bill. Um, I um, came to GA in 1996 
and I say that um, if I had found a way not to go, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have gone into those rooms. Um, I was defeated. Um, I'd been gambling for thirty odd years, and I was defeated. I was completely defeated. I was in more lot of lot of trouble, and um, and uh, I just still wanted to gamble. And um, I made three attempts to enter the Box Hill Gamblers Anonymous meeting and on the two previous attempts I got to the top, top of the stairs and ran away and went to the Greyhound meeting. Right. Um, on the third attempt, <laughs> on the third attempt, and we still talk about this today, on the third attempt uh, a gentleman came out and said, mate, I think you might need this, come in. Right. So in 19, December the 2nd, 1996, I went to my first meeting and um, I was scared stiff, scared stiff. I, um, yeah, I was, uh, the fear and and um, the change that, I didn't know what it was about, but I there was something that told me that, this was going to change my life. And um, I didn't know that, but the people in the room, and there was 25 people in that room, they were all very... Their stories were about my story. And they were different types of gamblers, but they all were going through similar thing to me. And um, I remember one member said to me, mate, you're in the right place see if you can find another meeting. So on the Monday night I went to my first meeting and on the Wednesday night I went to my second meeting at Mitcham. And going to my second meeting was harder than going to my first meeting because I knew that if I, I knew that when I was walking down there things were going to be <laughs> things were things were definitely going to change. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so you mean you'd, you'd have to start facing life on life's terms? Yeah, I'd been. Um, I know now. I didn't know it then, but I know now that I'd been running away most of my life. Yeah. I started gambling when I was sixteen. Um, a, a bit like John, I um, gambled on the Melbourne Cup, and um, the horse won. Um, and then I started gambling. My mother and father were not gamblers, but my grandfather was a chronic gambler, and uh, I had a lot of. Uh, I had more to do with my grandfather than I did with my father, and that influence from my gran- grandfather uh, shaped my gambling in the early stages. Shaped it, but it wasn't the reason I, I gambled. It was because I'm a compulsive gambler, but. Um, the areas I went to and the places I went to were around gambling. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, what what was your what did your life consist of when you came into GA? Well, when I came into GA, I the only thing I had was a job. Everything else, I was living in a bungalow at the back of a house. I had no car. Um, I had debts up to me. Eyebrows. Um, I was uh, my health had deteriorated. I mean, it suffered from asthma, and my health had deteriorated. Something shocking, and um, mentally, I was very unstable. Um, 
all these things that I'm talking about now, I didn't really know that. Um, recovery taught me that that's what I what was happening to me, and I came to understand what a normal life was about. And I'd never really had a normal life. No, far from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, what what did you find at the first meeting? Hope, yeah. hope. We have a sign in GA. It's at most meetings it says GA gives me hope, and that's the truest thing that I've ever uh, read. It gave me hope. It gave me a lot of fear, a lot of, a lot of worry, and a lot of everything else. But the underlining thing was hope. Yeah, uh, and, and I guess uh, in, in any twelve-step recovery program, you meet people who've had it worse and had it better than you. And to me, you always listen to the ones who've had it worse and just think how lucky you are. Mm. Yeah. Um, I I was fortunate. I was fortunate that I was able to surround myself with people who um, were the type of gambler I was, which was a horse gambler, greyhounds, uh, anything that moved, yep. and um, casinos and all that sort of thing. But I I surrounded myself with people like that and they helped me, helped me with their story. Telling, the telling of their story was the thing that inspired me the most. Yeah. Um, the telling of the actual story, of the story of recovery, was the thing that inspired me. Oh, look, if that bloke can do it, I'm a chance myself, are you? Yeah. So I I, um, I just kept coming back, and, uh, and um, I've got a thing where I never miss a meeting. I've been in the program 23 years now, and um, I never miss a meeting, and I often do two meetings a week, plus I do the 12-step recovery program, and I try to do a lot of 12-step work if I can. Okay. Um, recovery is a bit like a jigsaw that there's all these pieces and it's not it's not clear initially where they all fit, but eventually, you know, uh, you get it. So what was the thing that you found that once you got into recovery, how did it change your life? Um slowly everything in in um everything in recovery was was a slow process i wanted everything straight away i wanted all all my gambling life was around want want this want that um what i learned in recovery was that you have to put the work in and you have to put the effort in and you have to do, and I found, I often say this in GA, I found the literature so important in the early days. The literature that Gamblers Anonymous have, I read it back to front so many times um, when I was going to work and things like that. I used to carry the books and read the books and I still do, do today because um, that literature inspired me. Yeah. Mm. How much of your time... Pre GA, did you spend thinking about gambling? Uh, most of the time. Yeah. I was one of these people, one of these gamblers who had systems. Yeah. And uh, I tell a funny story about when I um, came into GA, I um, went to one of my sh- book, uh, one of my shelves in the ha- in the bungalow, 
and I had all these books, exercise books, and in each exercise book there was a system, but they never got past a third page. Yeah. Because the systems only worked for three, <laughs> three for a little time. So I was I was a person who worked on systems. I was a person who bought every racing paper that was ever available. I was a person that listened to all the track work. I did all that stuff, but and I was I spent a lot of my life, or a big percentage of my life, thinking about um, gambling and, and working gambling. I also owned racehorses, and I owned greyhounds. So it was, um, yeah, it was. It took a huge part of my life, but it also, well, the other part of it was that with sport. Any sort of sport. I couldn't go to a sporting event, which I was involved with, without gambling on that sporting event. It was. Um, it might be a country football match, yep. and I would have to gamble on that country football match. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Tragic situation. We might take a short break. Hi, my name's Pilar Aguilera, and I'm 3CR's chairperson. I'm urging you to become a 3CR subscriber. We need to keep independent, radical, dissenting voices on air. Social change doesn't just happen. We need to nurture it. We desperately need to hear alternative ideas that allow us to organise, build community and change the systems that continue to oppress us and destroy the planet. Put your money where your mouth is. Become a member. Subscribe today. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM, streaming at 3cr.org.au. 3CR Digital, Podcasting or Audio On Demand. Interested in mental health issues? Then tune into Brainwaves every Wednesday at 5pm. Brainwaves is a peer-produced and presented program addressing issues that may affect you. 3CR, inclusive radio, making your voice heard. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR. Are you interested in listening to one of our many podcasts? Then you can head to your preferred podcast platform or go to 3cr.org.au forward slash Living Free. You'll also find details about Living Free Show and how to contact us. Um, as you heard, we're having a subscriber drive um, and it's important for 3CR to have subscribers to support our show. Each program's asked to get at least for subscribers uh, to join us each year so that we can do our bit to keep the program on air. So we do that by providing podcasts, by giving you a different um, recovery group each week, uh, running 12 months of the year, and you know help people to understand what addiction is, what compulsion is, and what are the things out there that can help you to overcome them. Or, if it's in your family places you can turn to get help. Today I'm talking with about compulsive gambling and I'm talking with John and Ian and talking about recovery in Gamblers Anonymous. Um, so John, um, what, how about your first meeting? What was it like coming to GA after spending a long time as a gambler? Um, what's it like to admit to other people that you've got a problem? Well, I, my first meeting was at uh, South Melbourne in uh, it was in 1991, early 1991, and uh, I went there uh, very, very apprehensive about what to, what to expect. Um, 
I was on cloud nine, actually. I, I just uh, didn't know what to expect. But once I got into the meeting and I started uh, talking to people and they were introducing themselves to me, I felt more and more comfortable, more and more at ease. And I, once I got through that meeting, I realised that the, a great li- uh, relief had been uh, lifted off me because there was people in there exactly the same as me uh, with uh, the problems that they had, I shared, and they shared my problems. And it was a uh, night I'll never forget because... Uh, it was in South Melbourne, as I said, and when I got home, I actually uh, I was so high on um, adrenaline and full of that with that meeting that it was it was just something that I could not believe it, uh, that that this existed. You know, I wasn't judged. No one judges you, and that still goes today. It goes on today. No one judges you, and it was just such a relief. I uh, I was so pleased. Yeah. So, how long did it take you to get the benefits? Well, it would have taken me um, the benefits. Well, it was obviously straight away because I started getting into the program and, yep. and attending meetings. But it would have taken me two years to to get the full benefits and realise that uh, there is there's, there's another life and to live like a normal person. I've never I never lived like a normal no. person. Never was able to live. I was always consumed with gambling. Yep. Always consumed with gambling. So. GA gave me that uh, avenue for a normal way of life, and it was absolutely, uh, and still is, absolutely yeah. tremendous. Yeah. Must be a big hole to fill. Well, it is, but uh, I filled it with doing what normal people do, yeah. and I worked. <laughs> Living, yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah. lived and was able to enjoy uh, a normal way of life, like going to uh, events that uh, didn't involve gambling and uh I was uh, after two years. I'd really uh, was able to eliminate a lot of my uh, subconscious thoughts about gambling. It took that long, but uh, I was always aware of where the races were. um, But uh, I never that that diminished over the you know those two years. Mm. So was it easy staying in GA? Oh yes, if you get a good yes, if you get a good group, a good. uh, meeting a chapter of uh, yeah. GA. It was uh, very, very good. It was a family orient, like a family orientated business. I remember we used to. Uh, uh, we I went to Paran. We went to uh, uh, South Melbourne, as I said. But uh, we used to have uh, tea, meet and have tea in Fitzroy Street in um, St Kilda. Yeah. A group of us had tea, and it was so good. It was just like uh, I'd been heavily involved in football up until then, and the comradeship was uh, something that I enjoyed throughout my life mm. and uh, I had this other avenue of comradeship with people that didn't want to gamble compared to people yeah. that wanted to gamble so yeah. that was a great great uh, feeling yeah okay um so did you stay in GA I well I did for I, I kept going for five years to GA and then I had uh, uh, I stopped going because I moved and uh, I relied on willpower and willpower alone so that lasted another two to three years and then I crossed that invisible line and started punting again, went into action. And what's what's that like when you've when you'd stopped? What's it like when you start gambling again? 
Well, this, the terrible thoughts come back again, you know. I thought that I could control it and gamble like uh, a lot of my friends uh, were able to gamble normally. Some people are able to gamble normally. It doesn't uh, control them. But I was uh, it was uncontrollable as far as I was concerned. So I was um, gone, I went back to that, uh, that abyss that uh, I was in prior to 1991, going to my first meeting, and it was... Uh, uh, all the bad habits started to re- 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 reappear, uh, skipping uh, work, cutting work out, missing um, appointments, uh, functions with my children, uh, the deceit, the lies, all started again. And here I am back in the same old uh, action and also uh, uh, gambling he- more heavily. Yeah. It took me back there. Right. So and it took me three years. Before I found my way back to GA. Yeah. So how did you do that? Well, you knew it was there, obviously. I yeah, yeah. I knew yeah. all the time. I knew GA was there, but I was uh, stubborn, brute stubborn, or uh, believed like a gamble like any normal person. But it was, it was just unbelievable. I couldn't do it. I just could not do it. My life had become unmanageable because of this gambling, uh, and over the three years, I said it got worse and worse and worse, and uh, I just got to the point where nah, this. Uh, there is a way out, and I've got to go back to GA. Yeah. And the problem was, uh, uh, the, if, if I hadn't known then, that at that time that uh, I would have been accepted so openly and willingly by the GA members, I most probably would have gone back earlier because uh, I went there with my tail between my legs being yeah. defeated and uh, feeling that way and thinking that I'd be judged that way again, realising that, no, that's not the case. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, so in NGA now, you know, um, being being involved in helping other people, yes. how does that does that make you feel good? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And that's one of the things that uh, you ask about the whole. How do you fill the hole? Well, now I um, I'm able to. Uh, I think I think more about GA today than I. Uh, do about gambling. Now, gambling, I used to think of 24, yeah. 24 7. Yeah. Now, GA, I'm always thinking of, uh, of uh, GA. I've got uh, phone contacts with other people, members of GA. I, sp- I have been started spending a lot of time with the RSO and through Yvonne. She's mm. a um, very, very, uh, very, very knowledgeable person in GA, mm. and she's a trustee of GA, and she's. Uh, She's uh, absolutely excellent. So I spend a lot of time with her. I spend a lot of time with other members, the younger members. They keep me young. Uh, Brendan, I came on with uh, last time here. He's uh, he's really going very very strongly, and I spend yep. time with him and other people from the uh, other meetings. I really enjoy going to the meetings. Okay, thank you. Um, so back to you, Ian. Um, so going to two or three meetings a week and not meeting. Missing meetings. So has that kept you in GA? Yeah, it has, uh, Bill. It's kept me in GA. But the thing that I um, understood early in the program was that um, there's recovery and there's abstinence. And in the first part of my uh, journey, my journey in in, um, GA, the first part of my journey was could only be about abstinence. Yeah. I didn't have the strength mentally or physically to do anything else but turn up at the meetings. Yeah. 
turning up at the meetings and being part of the meeting was more than enough for me in the early days. Um, I The urges that overwhelmed me in the early days, they, they, the urges that overwhelmed me continued right through the first 18 months, two years in the program, and the telephone list that I was given and the fact that I got a telephone put on in me <laughs> bungalow <laughs> uh, helped me helped me so many times to be able to ring members at when I had urges and I had a lot of urges and um, the other part of it for me was that when um, when the recovery started I when I started to get into recovery that was another story but the the main part of it was that I didn't mix with people who gambled and I didn't go to areas where there was gambling. And I'd spent most of my life in areas where there was gambling and I'd spent most of my my people that I knew were gamblers. So I had to make a lot of changes and I could only do that slowly. I couldn't do it straight away. uh, I didn't have the strength to do it straight away. So eventually, over a period of time, I cut a lot of my ties to gambling and with the support of the fellowship, with the support of the fellowship, the fellowship was a huge part of my early recovery, a huge part, and that they was able to give me the strength to do things that were nor- that normal people do, like getting a car license. I got a car license at the age of fifty-two. Yep. After losing it when I was about in the late thirties. I went and got a car license and drove in Melbourne for the first time for 25 years, and that was yeah. the strength of that was the strength of the fellowship that gave me, that encouraged me to do things, you know, and change my life. And but it had to be done very slowly, yep. very slowly. And then the other part of it is going into recovery is another story. But um, the the early days was the early days. Was um, was really hard, but I had so much support that um, that made it easy, easier for me, a lot easier for me because of that support. Yeah. Um, so, what about recovery? What? How did you approach recovery? Um, people talked to me about the twelve steps. I saw it on the. On the wall with every meeting I went to, I sought the twelve steps, but I didn't understand it, and I was encouraged. I went to a national conference in nineteen ninety seven late ninety seven and I experienced for the first time real fellowship over three days where people from all over Australia came to a national conference and I learned so much from from older members and one of the members who has now passed on said to me, you need to think seriously about doing the recovery program here. And I said, all right, yeah, no worries, I'll do that. And I went out of the, um, I went out of the conference and promptly had a, a breakdown. Yeah. And uh, because it was all too much for me, and um, 
and within a couple of weeks I managed to get myself to my first step meeting in South Melbourne and um, didn't understand it but kept going to it excuse me kept going to the to the um, steps and uh, over a four year period I did steps and um, I still do steps today and the recovery the 12 steps of recovery for me is the key along with my higher discovery of my higher power in my life has um, helps me in my recovery today Okay, thanks. Well, listen, we might take another quick break. There is power in numbers and there is power in independent, community-run media. Join the swelling number of people fighting back by becoming a member of your radical activist radio station. Show us your love and subscribe to 3CR. Call us on 9419 8377 or pay online 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Mass brings a doof to the airwaves on 3CR every Tuesday at midnight. We spotlight the dark side of psychedelic trance with regular guest segments to talk electronic music production, DJing and news in the scene. Get your dark and twisted sounds on 3CR every Tuesday morning from 12am to 2am. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR Digital Radio, live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Um, I'm talking with John and Ian, and we're talking about recovery from compulsive gambling through, or with the help of Gamblers Anonymous. Um, John, back to you. Um, talking about recovery, and how important is sponsorship in GA? Absolutely. Uh, Ian's the, uh, a great sponsor. He sponsors at the moment, he's sponsoring three people and uh, sponsorship, it's uh, very, very good for the newcomer or, of GA or a member of GA. You don't have to be new to have a, have a sponsor. But being a sponsor itself is, uh, gives you, affords you the uh, ability to be able to uh, help people and they help you as well with their um, questions and advice that they ask for and you're able to give them. So being a sponsor is very, very important. They say get a sponsor, that's very, very important in, in GA. Yeah. So it's all about understanding the program and understanding how people recover and yes. helping other people to understand that it's pretty it's pretty straightforward. Yes. But people are complicated. Well it is and, and you know, we uh, we learn in GA, one of the things you do learn in GA it's a day at a time. And that's not only uh, the fact that you don't gamble for one day at a time, which is great, but it's a day at a time and you learn so much in one day uh, and it can be every day. I know through uh, GA we have uh, a member that uh, texts a, uh, a meaning of every day through our blue book that we have yep. and uh, shares it with all members yep. of, uh, of uh, one of the chapters yep. and uh, it's, it's just so uh, people are involved and are happy to share 
But Ian's uh, been, I think he is the best to answer this, but he's been sponsoring my, I would suggest, for over 15 years. Yeah. Okay, Ian, over to you. Oh, sponsorship. Um, <laughs> How important is it? Sponsorship is a, a fantastic thing on both sides. Yeah. Um, what I find with sponsorship is that you are giving the message of GA that is in the literature and is in the meetings, you're transferring that to the person you're sponsoring. You're not giving your own opinions. You are following the guidelines of the program and the things that you've learnt over the years. And not every person that you sponsor is the same. And each person is different in their recovery. And we haven't mentioned today that the poker machine gamblers who are different to the racehorse gamblers. They're still still gamblers, but they gamble in a different way. And um, everybody in um, GA that I sponsor have different ways of dealing with it, and you have to be able to accept that and understand how they can can be helped. It's... um, Sponsorship's not something you take on easily. It's uh, something that ha- you need to work at. I I found it extremely rewarding, extremely yeah. rewarding for me as in recovery, and I hope it's rewarding for the people that I sponsor. So, um, but uh, the um, the gambling today is so different to when I started in nineteen sixty six. Um, the type of gambling and the um, amount of gambling and the way we gamble is so different. So we have to be very aware of that when you're dealing with people who gamble in a different way to yourself. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, John, back yes, to you. Yes, if I could just keep I just, yeah. uh, mention with sponsorship in my early days, that's my first maybe four or five meetings, I mistook sponsorship for monetary Okay, yeah. So yeah. you hear, you know, when I come yeah. into the GA, they say, get a sponsorship, get a sponsor. It's very important to have yeah. a sponsor. And I remember walking up to one of the members there and saying, well, how much does it cost to be a sponsor? Yeah. And then it was explained <laughs> to me what sponsorship was about. So if you think that's your sponsor that's monetary, it's not. No, right. Not like I thought at the beginning. Yeah, no, in a lot of things, uh, people have got to be sponsored into golf clubs and stuff like that by people who are already members, but that's, yeah, that's not different. It's different, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so talking about technology then, so how's how's the technology and the way people gamble and the availability of gambling affecting the new people who are coming to GA? Drastically, yeah. drastically. Uh, Bill, it's um, from my, my very first day when it was, uh, and Ian's when it was uh, the TAB, uh, that's what we were aware of, but it's progressed to uh, online gambling. Uh, poker machines weren't available when we were around yeah. early in yeah. early gambling. Uh, the fact that uh, these young people that come into GA now uh, use their uh, their phones and are able to gamble twenty four seven, and uh, it's some of the stories that you hear through GA from these younger people is really really uh, daunting because. Some of them won't go to bed until three and four o'clock in the morning because availability it's worldwide. Yeah. And uh, now with the uh, saturation on the TV uh, and through media of uh, the advertising for this uh, gambling, 
and they say gamble responsibly, but you know yeah. you're talking to an addicted person, and these people yeah. Yeah. Uh, were very very sick. You know, there's a sign out here at 3CR said that uh, all disabilities are not visible, mm. and uh, that's so Gambling true of us yeah. too. Yeah, it's so true of us. So uh, the progression progression of uh, the fact that uh, the, through uh, through uh, these applications that are available to these younger people now, uh, it's change as i say it's just another world it's another world yeah well we should try and get some young gamblers on the show and share their current experience yeah yeah, yeah i agree um bill um to get young gamblers in here and would be fantastic and we're working on that as a as a group as a victorian group we are working and trying to get more people into this program so they can share their experiences especially the younger people because it is and also with the poker machines um the poker machine in when i first came into ga um you would have said that it was 70 percent men and 30 percent women yeah now today it's basically 50 50 right and there's a lot more older women being caught on the poker machines, there's a lot more older women who who struggle, and there's also a lot of young women coming into the program. Um, so it's more the um, GA, the people in GA now are more generalised than they were when I first came in. It was more about the horse gambler, and yeah, the, the old horse gambler, yeah, yeah and the greyhound man, yeah, and um, but. And also there is a, a huge, and we haven't mentioned this, but there's a huge percentage of people who are getting caught in the casinos. Okay. Yeah, yeah. casino gambling in the last um, 15 years, that I've, last 15 years I've seen a big increase in casino, a casino people that are getting caught on the casino. Okay, brilliant. Uh, so... Once once you get in GA, once your life starts settling down, so what's it like now for you, Ian, um, compared to what it was like when you came in, when you were living, I think you were living in a bungalow, you didn't have any family, you didn't have anything. What's it like now? Um, I um, am, My word for it is grateful. I'm grateful that I've been given a second chance at life. Um, and I have been given a second chance at life by by the Gamblers Anonymous program and um I was I was dead and gone and uh I'm now now able to have a, a very full and rewarding life which has has its has its challenges on a yep. daily basis but I don't run away from the challenges anymore. Um my higher power and myself we don't run away. We um face the challenges and from time to time, you have challenges in your personal life and things that happen, but you are able to deal with it today. I'm able to deal with that as best I can. Sometimes I get a bit scratchy, but the, you just deal with it. And you have the fellowship and you have the phone and you have people like John you can talk to about and so many people in the program that I can talk to and... and um, and you, and the basis of the basis of it for me, of recovery is one day at a time. Yeah, I only worry about the one day. 
if I worry about four or five days, well, yep. <laughs> the scatterbrain starts and the uh, impatience starts and um, knowing your defects and knowing what your defects are makes it so much easier. Yeah. And, Bill, if I was to be asked the difference between when I was in action as a, as a compulsive gambler and what I'm now in, being in abstinence, yeah. I would say one word, serenity. Yes. Absolute serenity, from a nightmare to a serenity. And that's what it's like for me in abstinence. Yeah. And I guess to be a, an active gambler, you must have a second life. Yes, absolutely. So it must be so traumatic trying to balance those two things. Yeah. But once it's been, <laughs> once it's been, uh, it's been shown to you through GA, it's yeah. shown, been shown to me, uh, and, and I think, well, why have I bust? Why did I bust? And... Uh, it's, uh, you know, knowing the reason why we gamble, it's not really important. It's the fact that we're not gambling now and it's a uh, it's serenity. Yeah, yes, you're right. Um, what was I going to say? Um, so was was gambling an easy way out in life? It was an escape, yeah. absolute escape. And yeah. you could do, it was an escape for me uh, up until I finished gambling because uh, uh, it was a... I'd use any excuse to gamble, either be good good luck, bad luck, arguments, frustrations. Mm. Uh, I'd gamble. I'd go and gamble. That was my out. That was my out. And it was a, um, a, a, a situation where I became uh, mood swings. If I was, if I was winning, if mm. I had, had a win, I'd be on top of the moon. But nine times out of ten, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't able to win. I was yeah. a... Uh, uh, the moods would turn the other way, and I was a nasty person, uh, and it was just money. And they say the you know the the root of all evil is money, and it absolutely is. I couldn't win. I could not win because if I did win, it would be for use for ammunition for the next punting day tomorrow, next day. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't go home because my wife would kick me out. If I said, "Look, I won't go on and once," you know, yeah. and I was absolutely. Uh, uh, secretly gambling and telling lies. She knew all along. She knew when I was gambling because of my mood swings. Yeah. yeah. And even if I did win, I couldn't win. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's catch-22, isn't it? Yeah, yes. Really. Um, so the change in attitude that you go through, it, because yeah, to be a gambler, you're a bit of a selfish person. So how does that change? You know, what, what gives the emphasis in GA to, to redirect that energy? Well, for me, Bill, the um, everything is slow, and it's a slow process. But it's based on honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness, and giving back to life, and not just taking and um, taking everything. I I I was consumed by the want, the the always wanted something but not prepared to put the work on it or the effort into it. And many, many times during my gambling career, when things went wrong and they would go wrong, I would just disappear. I would just go to another town, get another job. In those days, in the 70s and 80s, and even the 90s, work, any type of work, I would just go and find work and I would find another town or another place and I would start again, and I'd say, yeah, I'm not going to gamble, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. 
and nothing would happen. I'd be at the first racetrack that you could find. Yep. <laughs> and I always tell the funny story about when I moved into another town, the first thing I looked for was where the TAB was because then I work out how, how I could get to the TAB in lunchtime. Okay. <laughs> so that was that was one of the funny things that well, you know, it's not funny, it's silly. But it it was what I did and even today when I go into towns my my wife says to me, um I said, Oh there's a T A V you'd know where that was <laughs> yeah. So it's hard yeah. to change, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Okay, well, listen, we're just about at time. Um, so if there's anybody out there who'd like to know a little bit more about Gamblers Anonymous, uh, you can either phone them on 0396966108 or you can go online at gaustralia.org.au. I'd like to thank John and Ian for coming into 3CR Studio and sharing their gambling recovery stories with us. Thank you both. Thank you very much, Bill. Thanks, Thank Bill, you. for having us on again, and good yeah. luck to 3CR with the subscriber drive for this month, finishing on the 16th of February. Thank you very much. Join us again next week when we'll feature recovery from compulsive drinking, and we're going to be joined by Steve from Alcoholics Anonymous. Thanks for listening to 3CR, um, and as um, John said, think about subscribing to 3CR uh, to help Living Free stay on air. And stay tuned now for our new show called Alternative, uh, hosted by Robbie Thorpe. And to take us out, we've got a song called The Hard Road by the Hilltop Hoods. Once again next weekend Found me out drunk again And I never will forgive myself For putting you through all that hell I went from high school dropout To factory labourer Slave to the clock at 2-4 Went from sleeping on the floor To being out on tour Now no stopping me I finished with the bang Like a Cobain's biography Uh Sunny nearly never existed. Oh. Going down.